The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody, welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I'm Patrick DeVault, and right here with me is Matthew Carter. What's up? Today we're going to continue our George Steinbrenner saga. And um, we left off in 1989 last time around. Today we're going to pick up in 1990. Um, I'm going to let Matthew take it from there. So, the start of the 1990s was not good for George Steinbrenner. And basically it's because of a feud that he had with his star outfielder, Dave Winfield. Now, Dave Winfield is in the Hall of Fame, and he came to the Yankees in the off, in 1981. It was a big free agent signing for Steinbrenner. Because as we previously mentioned in the previous podcast, Steinbrenner embraced free agency. He loved free agency. With a guy with a lot of money, I feel like free agency really would be your ticket. Yeah. You ain't got to draft this guy and groom him. You can let somebody else do that and then just buy him. Yes. So, you know, I mean... It, That's still kind of the case in today's baseball. Yeah. I mean, they have a farm system, but I guess they just don't rely much on farm systems. Well, how many people are looking to see where Freddie Freeman's going to end up? Right, a lot. A whole bunch. And the Braves groomed him from day one, so. Yeah. And so, but even though he signed Dave Winfield, they, it was a contentious, like most of Steinbrenner's relationships with people, this was also, this was a very contentious relationship from the start. Basically, Steinbrenner was peeved at both Winfield and his agent for putting in his contract a cost of living increase into the terms of his contract, raising the total cost of the contract from fifteen million to twenty three million. Do you think that Steinbrenner possibly was peeved because he didn't catch that when he signed said contract? I believe so. That was because would, he was the boss, and you snuck something past me, and I'm not okay with it. Right, they got one over on Steinbrenner for that, and nobody gets one over on Steinbrenner. Right, and Dave had a great career with the Yankees. Every year he, well, except for 1990, he was an all-star. From 81 to 88, he was an all-star. Well, if he got Steinbrenner climbing over back, kind of an excuse to have a down year. Yeah. Because you got to make the boss happy. Exactly, you know. But, um, you know, and he was a, you know, in the the era, in the decade of constant managerial changes and and drama and all that stuff, Dave Winfield was a source of continuity. Like he was a constant source, just always there, just like Don Mattingly. They're just both there, dealing with all these managerial changes and playing on some good Yankee teams, but not never playoff or World Series teams. And even going through these changes, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean he's a Hall of Famer. And, and oh, well, except for '81, Dave Winfield played in the '81 World Series, but other than that, it's just you know, that, like we said in the previous episode, the '80s Yankees just weren't very good. They just weren't. They, they didn't make the playoffs. You know, and so, 
and Steinbrenner throughout this time as you know as Winfield's playing for his team he talked disparagingly about Winfield quoting in 1985 I let Mr. October referring to Reggie Jackson I let Mr. October get away and I got Mr. May Dave Winfield he gets his numbers when it doesn't count Anybody can win those dog game games, dog day games against the Pirates in your interleague play. Yeah, which I'm not even sure was the thing then. Probably not. No, interleague didn't come until '97. That'd be a good topic for us to cover. Yes, it would. But anybody can win those random day games against the mediocre Chicago White Sox. Yeah. So and you know things are just getting ugly. Steinbrenner is trying to get out of this damn contract. You know he's trying to trade. He's been trying to trade Dave Winfield. But Dave Winfield has vetoed most of his trades because of a rule called the 10 and 5 rule, which means 10 years in the majors, 5 with the same team. If you were one of those players like Dave Winfield was, he could you could reject the rule. Like you I mean you reject the veto. So for lack of a better term, we can call that tenure. Right, he's got tenure. Like teachers have tenure. Dave That's exactly what I was thinking was school teachers. Yeah, Dave Winfield had tenure. He could reject the trade. You know, with the vetoes, like, hey, I don't want, to, I don't want to trade. But honestly, it's like, hey, if you're playing on a team when your owner openly does not like you, honestly, I mean, I'm sure playing in New York is great. But it's like, man, if you if you're with a team that your owner openly does not like you, I would look for any way to get out of that and go somewhere else. But again, that's just me, you know. And well, in the New York media. The New York media in its own. It has to be really tough to play in front of. Right. New York Daily News and all of them. You know. The New York Mail, all of them. There's so many. Yeah, New York Times. And like, it's, the bigger the city, the bigger the media, the bigger the pressure mm-hmm. is. You know, and that's how many guys have wound up being Yankees and not doing what they did places before they came Yankees in the prime of their careers. Yeah, a whole bunch. Like, I think Johnny Damon, personally, comes to mind. He was one of my favorite ball players of all time. He was phenomenal with the Red Sox. He got to stay there and have his long hair. But then, we can get into this a little bit later. Because coming up around the same time, the haircut status at Yankees. Man, that dude's hair was his persona. Yeah, it was, you know. And when he had to move and change things, it's tough to play in that city, especially for Mr. Steinbrenner. Yeah, I mean, it just was tough. And then... And then, of course, Dave Winfield has a foundation, or had a foundation, I don't know if it's still going on, called the Winfield Foundation. And, you know, in 1988, as the decade was coming to a close, the Yankees were prepared to sue the Winfield Foundation for misappropriation and misuse of funds. And on several occasions, Winfield has sued Steinbrenner for a failure to pay the foundation amounts guaranteed in the outfielder's contract. And then, in 1990, to begin the year, this is where shit hits the fan for Steinbrenner. In January of that year, he paid $40,000 to a former gambler named Howard Spira, or Howie Spira, right, to dig up dirt on Winfield. And he gave him that, but, like, Howie Spira was in debt to gamblers and, and mafia people. Over $100,000 worth of money. And he tried to get Steinbrenner more money for him. Oh, actually, no. I think, sorry. Spyro went to Steinbrenner and said, hey, I can dig up dirt on Winfield and 
provide proof that he was squandering his foundation's money on trysts with girlfriends. So that's how... So you're mi- you're mis- misappropriating the funds of your foundation. Yeah. So this is how I'm going to try and get out of the contract with you. Yeah. I'm going to make you like a bad guy and fire you with calls. Yeah. And so, you know... He, you know, he, he gave Spire the money, but afterwards he refused to give Spire any more money, and then he and then Spire got charged with extortion. You know, Spire got alleging you. Let's see. He got charged with extortion, and I guess Steinbrenner had influence with the connections at the FBI office in Tampa because at the time Steinbrenner lived in Tampa. Yeah, and he was the pillar of the community, I guarantee it. Right, so he probably got the FBI's help to get Spira for extortion. You know. And Steinbrenner's like, while admitting the, while he admitted the $40,000, his explanations for the payment provide proved volatile. Initially claiming that he paid Spira out of the goodness of his heart. He then went on to say that Spire threatened his family or hinted that he would tell the press about Lou Pinnell's gambling habit. Regardless of the cause, it was pretty clear conversation, or I'm sorry, pretty clear contra- contravention of baseball's biggest no-no. Don't associate with gamblers. So, of course, now the commissioner of baseball, Faye Vincent, is interested. He's like, what in the world? You yeah, know? and we're not too far gone from a couple gambling things that have made baseball not look good. Yeah. Because this is post Pete Rose, this is post Black Sox. There's been a handful of, I'm sure there's other scandals that aren't as no, no, notable. Mm-hmm. So the commissioner is doing his due diligence to make sure it's not happening again with the insider stuff and all of that, I'm assuming, right. is why we're in this situation. Yeah. And Winfield, you know, he doesn't really come out great either because he had a connection with Spira. He lent Spira $15,000 in 1981. And then, even though he didn't, Winfield denied doing that. And then he also denied knowing Spira was a gambler. Multiple, multiple sources suggested that, you know, this was false. You know, if this was like on the Maury show, if Dave Winfield took a, a lie detector test on the Maury show, and Maury's like, okay, you're lying, you know. It, other than you're not, other than saying you are the father, he's like you are a liar because you knew how we spire up before all this. For lack of a better term, you sir are full of beep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then um, there's some evidence to just there's some evidence to suggest Steinbrenner's claim suggesting Winfield himself was no stranger to sports betting, and it, albeit not on baseball. You can bet on whatever you want as long as it's not the sport you play. Yeah, and then like in '89, he settled a suit. Whitfield settled a suit, admitting that some of the foundation's income had been inappropriately expended, agreeing to pay almost two hundred thirty thousand dollars in delinquent contributions. And none of this was part of the commissioner's investigation. The commissioner was just more focused on getting, you know, getting Steinberg. And on July thirtieth, nineteen ninety, Faye Vincent banned George Steinbrenner. For running for life, for running the for running the Yankees, you know, he, he banned him from running the Yankees. So he could still own them, but he couldn't be the GM. Yeah, is that basically where we're at here? Yeah, and the weird thing is, Steinbrenner requested the ban instead of a two-year suspension originally suggested by Vincent. And you know, and the reason he did, he suggested that was 
He thought that a suspension would mean that he would lose his position as vice president of the United States Olympic Committee. Okay, another thing about Steinberg I didn't know. He was a member of, he was a vice president of the U.S. Olympic Committee. And, you know, and at the time, Steinbrenner was tired of the game. But as so often, changed his mind. Because, of course, he did. You're the most profitable team in baseball. Right. You're the New York freaking Yankees. And after to this day, I went to Liz. We were at Liz at the mall this morning. Yeah. They got a whole, they got more Yankees hats than Braves hats in there right now. Is that something? Yeah, exactly. You know. And Vincent relented, Commissioner Vincent relented and revoked his lifetime ban. And basically, just, you know, after two years passed, he let him back in. He knew he was good for baseball, is what it was. Now, I think also another reason, at least my opinion, that instead of a two-year suspension, going back to the 70s, Steinbrenner got caught being a part of the Watergate scandal that brought down Richard Nixon. So I knew nothing about this, so I'm going to have to let you handle this one. Right. So Steinbrenner was indicted on 14 counts of making illegal campaign contributions and obstruction of justice. And let's see. He pled guilty to two of the counts and he was fined a five-figure sum. And then Bowie Kuhn, who was the commissioner at the time, suspended him from baseball for two years, reduced on an appeal to 15 months. So he was already he's been suspended by a previous commissioner. And then, you know, 1990, he's in the same situation again for different circumstances. And this time he's like, all right, I just want to ban. Just, I'm tired of, I'm tired of, he said he was tired of baseball. He's like, all right, I'll just ban me. So I'm reading an article. It's on NJ.com. You know how we have AL.com. Every state has their own kind of thing. It looks like AL.com, even in now it's, but it's New Jersey. Yeah, it's New Jersey. And it says, former Yankees owner George Steinbrenner blamed illegal Nixon campaign contribution on bad advice. (laughs) So, you know, the boss, I'm not going to implicate myself. I'm not going to say I did it or didn't, but I got bad advice. <laughs> and it, it also says it follows up to say that he assisted the agency in all of their investigations and all of that which is probably why did you say he got criminal charges or no? he got they, they got like, I guess he pled guilty to two of the charges he was uh, oh, kind of like a plead guilty slap on the wrist yeah, he go was about a, your business kind of deal he was indicted on 14 counts and he pled guilty to two of the counts so, you know, and he had to pay a hefty sum and he got suspended for two years, which those two years the Yankees were at Shea Stadium. So he, that that gave Steinberger and I guess whoever else, the minor writers, to concentrate on renovating Yankee Stadium. For lack of what we can, for lack of a better term, can we call it like a Yankees dead period? Yeah, it was the Yankees dead period. I mean, this was during the dog days of the Yankees, you know. I'm not sure if there's a term for that time period, but I think Yankees dead period would be a good thing to put on it. Yeah. And so, and then in the nine, you know, after twenty games of the ninety season, Winfield gets traded to the Angels. Finally, getting away from Steinbrenner, and then you know he later went to the Toronto Blue Jays, helped them win a World Series in ninety two, and then he gets traded to the hometown Minnesota Twins, where he finished his career. He's from St. Paul, Minnesota. He played baseball, football, basketball, and hockey at the University of Minnesota. You know. 
he, so to end his career in his hometown, hometown Minnesota Twins is a good thing for Dave. And, of course, he's in the Hall of Fame, and I saw him. I believe he was there this year as well as 2019. So I've seen him there at Cooperstown. You see him. I've seen him on Baseball Tonight when they had Baseball Tonight. You know, he's been I, around. I miss Baseball Tonight. I and I too. also miss Fox Sports. Remember, they used to have the Saturday game at noon, mm-hmm. and at 11 o'clock they had This Weekend Baseball. Yes. And they played all the highlights. That was great, man. And that was a long-running – I think that show ran probably 50 or so years. Yeah, starting with Mel Allen. You know, the when we do like a little three- or four-parter with multiple topics on it, yeah. which will be a thing we get to do for you all soon, that will definitely have to be one of the things we talk about is TWIB. Because yeah, this, this weekend baseball you, is a part of my childhood. Yeah. And granted, me and Matthew are both right around 30 years old. So, you know, some, some of y'all listening, it might not have been a part of your childhood, but it was definitely a part of ours and a bunch of our listeners that are friends of ours. Yeah. Now, eventually, Winfield Steinbrenner made up. But when Winfield went to the Hall of Fame, he wore a Padres cap. Because he started his career with the Padres, and I guess he had his... Uh, he could have been a twin, but you know, he, that was near the end of his career. So he's like, I'm going as a Padre. I'm not going as a Yankee. Screw you, Steinbrenner, you know. And, um... Well, if Steinbrenner tried to ruin my career, I don't think I would have gone in wearing a Yankees cap either. No. I'd have gone in with a blank cap if that was my only option. Right. Howie Spire spent 22 months in jail, and he never forgave Steinbrenner. He's like, I do not forgive him for all the terrible things he did to me. I stand by what I said. He ruined my life, my health, my reputation. I'm very relieved that the man has to face the most powerful test there is for what he's done. He has to face God. So he said this like after Steinbrenner. Posthumously. Yeah. He gets to answer to the big man upstairs. Yeah. So that's, you know, if anybody want to know what happened to Howie Spire, he went to jail. And Steinbrenner got banned for two years. So. And he holds a grudge to this day. Yeah. Even after Steinbrenner's dead. So. so now let's go back to the Yankees to start the 90s. Right, 1990 okay. Yankees, the year Patrick and I were born. They finished in seventh place in the AL East. Seven teams in the East. Imagine that today. Yeah. So you got five now? Right, because back then there was only two divisions. East, East and, and West. West. Yeah. 14 teams, right? Right, there were 14, yeah, 14 teams in each league. Yeah, they finished in seventh place in the AL East with a 67-95 and 95 record. Bucky Dent, who finished who finished managing the Yankees in the '89 season, he goes 18 and 31. He gets replaced by Stump Merrill, who I remember Stump Merrill reading old Nashville Sounds programs in the early '80s. He managed the Sounds because they were a Yankees farm team at the time, so I remember him from that. Stump Merrill finished the season with 49 and 64 record. Yankees were terrible. 91. Stump Merrill gets retained as manager. Yeah, I hear that too. Uh, Stump Merrill gets retained as manager, so that's good. He gets to finish a year. And the Yankees finish in fifth place with a 71-91 record. Improvement from 90, but still a losing record. They're not going anywhere. Let's see, 92. 92, he, Merrill gets replaced with Buck Showalter, who also played for the National Sounds. <laughs> you know. 19, well, but, you know, it was a minor league 
of the Yankees. Yeah. And they're the Yankees minor league again now, if I'm not mistaken, right? They are? No, no. They're no. the A's. They're with the A's. Yeah, they're with the A's. Because right. remember Pat Vendetti coming up, and he was a Yankees prospect, and he might have been. That's the guy that threw control with both hands? Yeah, yeah. That never got a raw shot, even though he could throw major league quality right-handed and minor league quality left-handed. Like, yeah. That was a cool story. But um, talking about 91. Steinbrenner and Niederlander was his managing partner because he was still suspended. Right, yeah. Um, and Stump Merrill. Here's the cool thing about that team. Their local television, Tom Seaver was on the play by play. And it's a, that's a Met. Yeah. Hall of Famer. It is, yeah. One of the greatest. I got a die. Um, you know, the little, uh, for the little plastic action figures, the starting. Yeah, the, start, the starting start lineup. Yeah, of. something like that. Yeah, I've got a Tom Seaver one. One of my one of my uh, mom, she's in care for thirty years. One of her coworkers knew I love baseball, and she had had this Tom Seaver one on her shelf. It's still in the box. It's a little bent up, but yeah. I've got a Tom Seaver. Damn, starting lineup, whatever they're called, little plastic figurines. Yeah. on my on my trophy shelf, still at my parents' house in my bedroom, which is. Semi untouched. They've changed the bed out to make it a guest room, but all my trophies and stuff are there. And I've still got him on the shelf with a bunch of McGuire and Sosa and Michael Jordan shit from when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And but so, uh, they had Steve Sachs on that team. He hit 304 with 198 hits, 85 runs, 38 doubles. Yeah. Um, Roberto Kelly had five RBIs in the game against the Tigers, which was the high for that season for RBIs in a game, which it's not like today where you have guys occasionally have like a 12 RBI game. Yeah. Um, and Roberto Kelly had five hits in the game versus the Twins. And um, they came in fifth in the division behind the Blue Jays, Sox, Tigers, Brewers, who are now in the NL. Yeah. And then they had the Orioles and the Indians behind them. And uh, 91 was also the first year, the rookie season of Bernie Williams. You know, long, that's a that's a big that's a big name going into the decade. That was his first season as a Yankee, and he played eighty five games and hit. Uh, well, he hit two thirty eight, but that's okay. You know, when you're a rookie, you, sometimes you're just not going to win Rookie of the Year. You know, especially in baseball when back then the draft was a lot smaller, but now what are they draft? Uh, well, they cut the draft down during the pandemic, but. You used to draft so many guys. Yeah. There's so many rookies that make it there that year. It, it's not like the NBA draft. There's only like two rounds. And if you don't make it, then you're mm-hmm. going to play overseas. What, baseball had... Six s- rounds, ten s- rounds. S- yeah, it's not quite like as big as football, but... Yeah. Six, ten rounds, and you, you're just feeding into a system with guys that have been career minor league guys, and you're competing against them. There's just so many guys, the way the baseball system works. Rookie of the year, it's... An achievement. It really is. It's yeah. big time. And it really, if you look at who has won Rookie of the Year in the past, they've all gone on to have good careers. Yeah. Just because they get Rookie of the Year and then they get that contract after the fact. Yeah. So, 92 Yankees. This is Buck, Buck Showalter's first year as the manager. I think this is like his first year ever as a major league manager. I believe it is. I don't remember if he, go, if he did any work before then. Their draft picks that year. A guy named Lyle Moulton out of LSU and a guy named Keith Garagazzo out of University of Delaware. Oh, wow. Never heard either one of those names. They probably just didn't get out of the minors. And that's the thing with the, that I was getting at with the baseball system yeah. and how hard it is to win that rookie of the year. But yeah, so this was Buck Walter's first 
ever managerial job in the major leagues with the Yankees in 92. And, you know, he, Showalter played for the Yankees, like he was in the Yankees minor league system. I want to say maybe he played for the Major League Baseball too. I don't Don Mattingly was on this team still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Don Mattingly played for like 95. But yeah, Show Walter, you know, in his first year, the Yankees finished in fourth place in the East with a 76 86 record. 93. There we go. 93, they did better. They finished in second place in the East with an 88 74 record. And I'll say it's either this year or the 94. When Jim Abbott, the one-armed pitcher, pitched a no-hitter. That's still miraculous what that guy did as a ball player with yeah. one arm to be a good pitcher and do the glove change and field a comebacker or a laser in his face. I guarantee yeah. somebody hit one at him. Yeah, I mean, kind of similar to Pete Gray back in 19, for the 1945 St. Louis Browns. You know, having one – or maybe it was no hand. It was like no hand or no arm for Jim Abbott. Either way, if you have a disability like I think he had a nub about halfway between his hand, yes. and he would pitch, and he'd tuck his glove under his armpit yeah, and stick the other hand in there and grab it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just – it proved that even if you had a disability like that, you could find a way to make – to get to the big leagues, right? This was – you're overcoming your adversity of not having a full hand. Dude, when I was in college, I gave up a single to a guy that had the little weird little three-pronged claw yeah. and a top hand. Yeah. And he was a right-handed hitter. I forget who we were playing, but he had a top hand and a little weird claw thing to grab the bottom of the bat. And those of y'all that played baseball know that top hand, and when you're hitting, is the important part. I gave up a single dude with one hand. Yeah. And he, and he held his own at the junior college level yeah. with all of us. I mean, just, you know. Just what it was just a great story and you know a great moment in baseball history. His name's still he he was an all star a few times, correct, Jim Abbott? I believe so. We can look. He wasn't a Hall of Fame guy. Well, no, I mean, he'll never be a Hall of Fame guy. He didn't play but he had a career, and he, just because of him playing with his disability, is a household name, and not saying he doesn't deserve to be because he obviously had enough talent to be there. Yeah, let's see, Jim Abbott. Yeah, Jim Abbott. No, he was not an all star. Wow. But, uh, yeah, okay, so it was either 93 or 94. But, you know, in 10 seasons, he won 87 games and 108 losses. But still, again, you know, he accomplished something with the, the limited disability that he had, you know. I'm kind of shocked he was not an all star at some point. The way growing up, I always knew who Jim Abbott was. Yeah. He's just one of those names, even though he's not an all-star, you know who he is. Because of what he overcame. Yeah. Not not everybody can be an all-star. Unlike the Smash Mouth. (laughs) Unlike the Smash Mouth song. (laughs) Anyway. I heard that that in the mall today. We were shopping, and it was echoing, and I'm I'm, I'm shoe shopping, and I'm like... Yeah. (laughs) Hey, now. (laughs) So, in the the strike-shortened season of 94... The Yankees finished in first place in the East with a 70 and 43 record. But of course, there are no playoffs and no World Series that year because it's the strike. So. I think we missed 93 where they drafted Jeter. Oh, yeah. Well, I talked about 93, but I didn't talk about the, them drafting Jeter. Yeah, we missed the Jeter draft. There's a guy here in Huntsville that played for the Stars that was in that same draft, and he never made it to this show. 
phenomenal family. Um, he'd probably prefer me to leave his name out of this. But um, phenomenal dude, phenomenal family. And his pride is, yeah, I went number uh, 13 to the A's in the Jeter draft. <laughs> uh, so the Yankees missed the postseason, but not not no fault of their own. It was just the strike, you know. There was no postseason '94. So '95, they make the playoffs for the first time since 1981. They finished second in the AL East with a 79-65-1 record. But this was, I think, the first year that the playoffs had the wild card. Like, you had the four teams in each league. The free, You had the three division winners, AL East, AL Central, AL West, and then the wild card. And I think the Yankees made the wild card that year. Because we finished second in the East. I mean, well, who finished first in the East? That's a real question. Um, let's see. I've got the team stats pulled out. Oh, the Red right Sox now. finished first in the East with an 86 to 58 record, but the Yankees won the wild card, so they're in there. And they lose to the Seattle Mariners, the King Griffey Jr. Seattle Mariners, three games to two in the ALDS. And Buck Showalter probably gets fired by George Steinbrenner after this. Well, if you look. I typed in George Steinbrenner Yankees before we even started doing this podcast. Yeah. And if you look at it, the first thing that pops up if you type it into Google, it's either the first or second thing is managerial turnover. Yeah. So this is a thing. It's timer. <laughs> you're going to win, and you're going to win now. Otherwise, you're not going to be here. But I will give it to Showalter for staying four straight seasons, four consecutive seasons as the Yankees I think I think I, had, I think I pulled it up in a different tab. I'll pull it up here in a second. We can right. come back to it. But I think he had one of the longer tenures until we get into the likes of Joe Torre and people like that. Right, because that's – Steinbrenner's not pulling the plug like he did back in the 80s. He's – I'm not pulling the plug. Pulling the trigger like he did back in the 80s when it comes to – Plug, trigger, same thing. Yeah, he's giving people more time. And I don't know if it's age or – Maybe his advisors are like, hey, can we just... Well, and the game was evolving a little bit yeah. too during that time period because yeah. that's, that's in the steroid era yeah. and there's, the game's a little bit different now than it had been 10 years before. And, of course, he was banned for two years, so he probably wasn't doing anything. Probably softened up a little bit. Right. He maybe changed him. <laughs> I might need to toe a fine line. and Right. And, this, and so now 96 happens. They get Joe Torrey as their manager. And Joe Torrey, he, he was a former major league player. He had managerial experience with the Braves. They led the Braves to the NL West Championship. That's one of my favorite Hall of Fame classes. It was all Georgia boys. Yeah. It was him, um, what, Bo Jackson was in that – no, not Bo Jackson. Um, Big Hurt. Big Big Hurt was in that class. He's a Georgia boy. Um, Didn't – wasn't La Russa in that class? Tony La Russa? I think he was in that same class. He's not from Georgia, is he? He's from Florida. He had Georgia ties. Oh. Not from Georgia, but everybody in that Hall of Fame class that year had Georgia ties to the Braves at some point throughout their career, and that was really cool about Joe uh, LaRusse's class. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he he managed the Braves, he managed the Cardinals, and he managed the Mets. And unlike the Braves, I mean, like the Braves he had success with, but uh, Cardinals and Mets, you know, he was kind of like Casey Stingle in his career. Like he, Casey Stingle didn't really do great with the Braves and the Dodgers as a manager, 
But then he went to the Yankees and he just did great. And then when he left the Yankees, went to the Mets, he wasn't so great. So Tory, he goes to the Yankees. In '96, Yankees are like one of my favorite teams. It's a great example of a combination of great young talent like Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Bernie Williams, Jorge Posada. And they pumped Jeter to the big leagues, quit. Right. To be yeah. there in three years. It's kind of like they did Bryce Harper with the Nationals. Yeah. This is my favorite team in that way. So, like, you have the young talent of those guys, and then you have veteran players like our old Huntsville guy, Jimmy Key. Oh, got, I forgot he was still in the league then. Yeah. You got Tim Raines, former Montreal Expo. You got the two Mets, the two bad boy Mets, Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. Woo! You had Cecil Fielder on the team. Um, oh man, and Prince, his son, yeah, is a minor a Huntsville guy. Right. You had David Cohn. Oh, well, David Cohn, he played for the Mets, so I guess he was a veteran. So he played the Mets before he came to the Yankees. But you know, and then um, Kenny, the pitcher Kenny Rogers, who I got an autograph from in 2006 <laughs> in spring training. I think he's more intimate as a uh, Texas Ranger punching out cameraman. Yeah, and, and also they had. Former Boston Red Sox great Wade Boggs on the team. He was a Yankee, and so you had this is the be, this is my favorite example and probably the best example of a combination of great youthful talent and seasoned veteran players all mixed together on the team. You have to have a guy like Boggs on your team. Yeah, one of the best third base locker room guy. Yeah, man could drink a million beers and still hit a. Home runs, doubles, triples, just play the position. And he had the chicken diet. He wrote a cookbook about how he loved eating chicken. He wrote a cookbook about his favorite chicken recipes and whatnot. You know, he's kind of like the John Daly of golf, but for baseball. Yeah, but I'm gonna do what I do and I'm gonna make it work. And he's not and less chubbier than John Daly. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. But he wasn't a small cat by the least either. No, but um, so the great mixture of those two teams really. And along with Joe Torrey's managerial experience, pushed his team over to new heights that they hadn't seen in many years. They win the AL East, finished the first in the AL East with a 92-70 and record. They beat the Texas Rangers in the ALDS three games to one. They then beat the Baltimore Orioles in the ALCS four games to one. And I think that was the, that was the series where was it Jeter? Some, it was, I think it was Jeter who hit that home run at Camden Yards that a fan like interfered with it, like like caught the ball and like interfered with the right fielder making the catch and they called it a home run and like it pissed off Baltimore. Like I can remember that. Oh, I remember that. It was in the left center field. It was like a kid that reached over. Yeah, the kid reached over to grab the ball. They ruled it a home run. And that was kind of one of the first times I'd really seen that because we were both kids. Right, you know. And um, I actually, looking into this year, I found a cool video. I'll see if I can plug the audio in here. If not, guys, I apologize. I have to make sure I'm up to YouTube standards on what I steal and stuff like that. Right. But um, there's a video where St- Tori guaranteed a World Series win that year. Yeah. To Steinbrenner. And he tells the story. So if I can plug the, find the, get, if I can rip that video and plug the audio in, I will. But I can't guarantee that. Yeah. And so they beat the Orioles <laughs> four games to one. And now they played the Atlanta Braves in the World Series. The 
defending World Series champs, the team of the 90s, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Chipper Jones, all those guys. As a Braves fan, they're the team of the 90s without the results that the title team of the 90s should have come with. Yeah. Because in real honesty, George Steinbrenner ran the franchise of the 90s. Right. Ted Turner was there, but like, you know, Ted Turner owned the team of the Braves in the 90s, but like, as the decade, you know, after he owned the team, bought the team in 76, and then into the 90s, he was visible, but it was like not, he was like, let other people do baseball stuff, and he just concentrated on CNN, you know. But anyway. He knew where his real money was. Right. That's a different conversation we're in a day that we will probably have at one point. It's on our it's on our list of things to possibly maybe talk about. Because I love Ted Turner. I love Ted Turner Death. Anyway. Yeah, I hate that team's owned by a corporation now. But right. diff- that's, that's, base- that's baseball. For another time. That's baseball. And the Yankees beat the Braves four games to two in the World Series. And I think that one of the games, like game six, was the last time that the Braves played at Fulton County Stadium. Which mm-hmm. I think that's the only stadium in the history of baseball whose last ever game was a World Series game. You know. And so the Yankees are finally... Well, if it hadn't been for the Olympics, they'd have played there another who knows how long. But Ted Turner and CNN put that money to build Turner Field as a track and field venue for the Olympics. Right, and then after that... With the expressed intentions of once the Olympics are done, we can retrofit this back to baseball. Right, and now it's Georgia State's football stadium mm-hmm. anyway so well at least it's still there anyway yeah um, and I hope it stays there forever because as you know lost cathedrals are a problem right so I hope it stays thank God for Georgia State for second up and buying Turner oh 100% we're having this conversation <laughs> as Matthew wears a shirt for League Park in Cleveland Ohio, in Cleveland, Ohio that was there from 1891 to 1946 yeah the field that, that's another story for another time I'm getting off subject Yankees won the World Series. Yay! You know, and for the first time since 1978, 18 years, the Yankees are world champs. Steinbrenner's are world champion again. And this is the beginning of the 90s, the the next dynasty, the Yankees' last dynasty of, of, of this point, right? They win the World Series. They come up short in 97. They lose to the Indians. Uh, let's see. I think they played the well. The Indians won the pennant that year. My phone's being slow. I need to get a new phone. I'll probably do that next year. <laughs> uh, they lost. They lose the Indians in the ALDS, so they finished short. But they win ninety six games. But it was only good for second place in the AL East that year. But then ninety eight, they're back in the World Series. They win 114 games, too short of the 1906 Cubs and the 2001 Mariners. They That's with a shorter season, correct? The uh, Cubs, the old Cubs. Right, that was a shorter season. That the Mariners in 2001 played 162, but yeah. the Cubs did not. The no, 1906 Cubs did. They, the Yankees go 114-48. and 48. They obviously won the AL East. They just dominated. Let's see. Let's look at the stats. See, they had a seven. They won. They the Red Sox were in second place in the East. They were twenty two games back of the ninety eight Yankees. That team kicked ass. This was this was probably their best team out of the dynasty. At least wins by wins, you know. 
But they swept the Rangers in the ALDS. The Indians gave them some fight in the ALCS. The Yankees beat them four games to two. And then they sweep the San Diego Padres in four straight to win the World Series. And that was the year that Scott Brocious hit that home run. Scott Brocious. I heard that name in years. Right. He's a <laughs> former Huntsville star player. Played for the Oakland Lakers. It's amazing Lakers. how many guys came through our hometown. I know. It's just it's just awesome, you know. I remember Scott Brocious hit that home run. I wish I remember. I wish I remember what game it was. Damn, I, I can remember it, and I don't remember what game it was that he hit that home run. Maybe the fourth game. But, you know, that was one of the great moments in Yankee history. You know, they win that. World Series Game 5, 2001. Or right not 2001. That was, that was November. That, that, that's no, that's the wrong series. Wrong World Series. Um, he had another big one. Um, we'll call, uh, let's see. Um, so I'm keep pulling up to 2001, which is bigger, which will clip this. Yeah. But Broch just hit that home run. 98. 98, it was... 20 years later. Oh, there's a real good article on MLB.com about it. It's called Yankees Magazine, A Player to Be Named. Because Broch just came over... Um, wait. That's very big. Yeah. Broch was named MVP of the World Series that year. You know? Yeah, and there he is with the trophy. Yeah, there he and is. And I guess he came over in a trade as a player to be named later. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say, let's see, let's see what game it was. I'm sorry if y'all at home, this, this is a little frustrating, but. Yeah. I want to say. Maybe it was the same. Shoot. <laughs> I just need to scroll to the bottom. It'll tell me when I hit the home run. I don't even say what game it is, but he was a player to be named later and did that. Yeah. It may have been game three because he hit two home runs in game three and not in game four. Yep. That's where it was. It was in game three. Yeah, game three. The 32-year-old battled, batted 471 in the four-game sweep of San Diego. Yeah, I mean, he just, he for that shining moment, he kicked butt. I mean, like, you know, his career... <laughs> Here's he had, a good David Quone quote. David Quone. It was almost stiff disbelief. You're thinking, oh my, that's dead center. Does it have enough? And then when you go out to center field against a great closer, that's really something. Yeah. I mean, and Brocious, you know, he played... He was a one-time All-Star, and he won three World Series, all three with the Yankees. So He's a forgettable name, but he was very important in two of their World Series wins. Yeah. I mean, just... He was a Especially the 2001 World Series, which we're going to get to here in a second, but... Yeah. They didn't win the 2001 Or he was instrumental in their contention of that, yeah, I guess. Yeah, so, you know, and then... Uh, he played roles in these World Series. Yeah. And so... You know, the Yankees, great team that year. 98 was a great season. 1999, they repeat as ALA's champs with a 98-64 record. Great great record, even though it wasn't, you know. It's hard to top 114 wins, you know. Um, 
Oh, it's hard. To, what are we? Twenty plus years later, it's still hard yeah. to top that many wins. That year, David Cohn for the Yankees threw that perfect game, and after the game, he met uh, Don Larson, who threw the perfect game of the World Series for the Yankees, fifty-six. But yeah, the Yankees they sweep the Rangers again in the ALDS. Poor Rangers. They beat the Red Sox in five games in the ALCS, and then they sweep the Braves in the only World Series that Turner Field had hosted. You know, the Braves, the Yankees sweep the Braves, back to back World Series champs, just like 77, 78. And then 2000, the Yankees go 87 and 74, but they still win the first, they, they still win the AL East. You know, they beat the Oakland A's in five games in the LDS. They beat the Mariners in six games in the LCS. And now we're playing in the Subway Series with the Mets. This is a big deal. I, rem- I remember this being a big deal. Right. Everybody was excited because the Mets were always kind of, not to the point the Cubs are called the Love Lures, but the Mets were kind of in that realm when we were kids. Yeah, you know. And the black uniforms for the Mets and Bobby Valentine. Yeah. Oh, Bobby V, man. I think he'd be a good manager today for the right club. Yeah, but he I, he, he just wrote a he's just wrote an autobiography, which I think is going to come out this coming year. So he's just doing that. He's just doing his own thing. Is he a Hall of Fame guy, or has he even been on a ballot? Or? I don't think he's been on the ballot. He he's a guy that could be because he was in the he was in the game forever, you know. Yeah. Anyway. So, first time since 1956 that two New York teams face each other in the World Series. They hadn't had a Subway Series since 56. They finally get one this year, 2000. And the Yankees beat the Mets in five games. And, of course, everybody remembers the moment. They beat them like a drum. Yeah. And everybody remembers the moment where uh, Mike Piazza is facing Roger Clemens. Mike Piazza breaks his bat in a ground out. And the bat, the broken bat's going towards Clemens. Clemens picks it up and throws it at Piazza, and Piazza just looks at him like, "What?" And then like, you know, both teams kind of came out, but I don't think it was, that was just a weird moment that everybody remembers. It was unnecessary. Yeah, it was unnecessary. It's like I know it's a rivalry. I know it's the World Series. Yeah, but uh, I'm speaking allegedly here. I'm not accusing anybody of doing anything, but do you think there could have possibly been a little bit of roid rage there? I'm like, hey, I finally got you, MFR. Yeah, because Clemens did steroids. Yeah. Which I'm like, you're a pitcher. Why are you doing steroids? But whatever. Why not? Why not? Again, Especially at that point in baseball, because it was a fort was really, really, really right. hammered down on. This is before the Mitchell report, so. We're going to have to do an episode on that. That's, that's on the list. Anyway... So 2001, you know, the horrible year of 9-11. And, of course, you know, how everybody rallied around the Yankees that year, as well as the Mets. You know, the New York Fire Department hats that they wore. And, you know, just, you know. That, it was a tough time as a country, let alone to be playing a game as grown men, especially in New York City. Right. It was just a tough you know. I could go watch the video of George W. Bush throwing out that first pitch at Yankee Stadium for Yankees Mets right now. Yeah. And it would make the hair on my arm stand. Right. It's just got just, goosebumps, yeah. Man's in a bulletproof vest and if you there's a thirty for thirty about it. If you hadn't seen it, go watch it. Right. Um so no free ads, but go watch it. 
Say what you will about President George W. Bush, but you know, it, you know, he was there when we needed him in that sense. Yeah, we're not here to talk politics. We're here to talk baseball. And he came out in a bulletproof vest and threw a perfect strike right down the middle, and everything seemed all right with America. And here we go. Yeah. And so, 2001 Yankees, they win the AL East 95-65 in one record. They beat the A's in the ALDS again, three games to two. They beat the Mariners, the 116-game Mariners, the Ichiro Mariners, four games to one. Poor, they blew it. But then they go in the World Series with the expansion Diamondbacks, who became a team three years earlier in 1998. That Diamondbacks team was a wagon. Yep, and then Derek Jeter hitting the home run as the... uh, as the clock struck November, Mr. November, you know, Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, Derek Jeter's Mr. November. And it was a hard-fought game. I think that was in game five because it was at Yankee Stadium when he did it. And then the last two games were at Bank One Ballpark, which is now Chase Field or whatever. I don't care anymore. Yeah, Chase bought out. Bank. It's all corporate. Yeah. But, dude, the team they got beat by, the damn Diamondbacks, right. were loaded. Luis Gonzalez was the MVP, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he hit the he hit the game when he hit, and Jay Bell, the Rocket City Trash Pants manager, scored the winning run. Yeah, he was the second baseman. You had Mark Grace, former Cub great, playing yeah. first base. Mm-hmm. You had uh, Matt Williams at third. He's still a name. I think he's still he, coaching somewhere. Yeah, he was a giant. Because we, mm-hmm. we, yeah, so he was a He's only Giants Walk of Fame. Yeah. So. I sent you a picture of that when we were in California. You did, you're right. Um, and then you got Steve Finley. Steve Finley, who I think was of the Angels before that. Or maybe that was another Finley, I don't know. Right fielder, a guy named Reggie Sanders. He had a pretty decent career. I remember um, him, yeah. Catcher, I don't recognize a guy named Damian Miller. But, don't remember. But they had a pretty good squad. He had Craig Council as an uh, yeah. infielder. Oh, yeah. Um. Junior Spivey, that was a cool name back in the nineties, yeah. early two thousands. Um, and your pitching staff was Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. I mean, it's just you know, and the, and both Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling were World Series MVP. But so that was a great World Series because again, you know, and of course the team, you know, every, the country rallied around the Yankees, but it was also great that the Diamondbacks. It was a great story for the Diamondbacks too because they won a World Series in three years after their existence. Kind of like the Marlins in '97, they won it in '97 four years after they became a team. You know, so that means that your expansion process, at least in baseball, works right. Like I got a problem with how hockey did theirs, and yeah. Vegas is in the Stanley Cup. Their what first second year? Yeah, that's a little too too easy too soon. But baseball does it right. It gives you three or four years to build the tools and Yeah. Which also might be a later episode, uh, expansions. There's a lot of things. But God, we got like Patrick has a list, we'll talk about the list. There's so much baseball is an onion, and the more layers you peel back, the more there is to talk about. There are many it's endless. It's absolutely endless. How many topics of baseball history do you talk about? It blows my mind. Anyway, two thousand two Yankees. They finished in first place with the AL East in the AL East with 1358 record, but they lose to the eventual World Series champion Anaheim Angels in four games in the ALDS. 2003, this is the last Ameri- let's see, this is the last of the Joe Torre Yankees pennants World Series. They win 101 games, they win the East, they beat the Twins in the ALDS, they beat the Red Sox. 
of course, that was the series where things got a little heated and Pedro Martinez threw Yankees coach Don Zimmer to the ground and Aaron Boone hit that game-winning home run to win the ALCS over the Yankees, as we've talked about in the family episode. You know, because everybody remembers that Aaron Boone home run. I'm sure Aaron Boone remembers that Aaron Boone home run. <laughs> if I was Aaron Boone, I'd have a video in my bathroom every morning when I got out of the shower and I just hit a button and it would play. Here's my Aaron Boone home run. Let's get fired up for the day. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then they, they, and then shock, that's his career moment. And shocker of all shockers, the Yankees lose to the Florida Marlins in the World Series in six games against the Jack McKeon, Dontrell Willis. Jack McKeon, Dontrell Willis, man, that guy fell off. It, it was it went downhill. We got traded to the uh, Tigers. Yeah. Shnick Remember the high leg kick? Remember us? Yeah. That's about when we were playing ball together. Remember the high leg yeah, kick everybody was trying is, to emulate? This is when, this is during our seventh, seventh grade year. This is when we were you know going to do Babe Roof and all that stuff. Remember everybody wanted to emulate Dontrell? Yeah. Man. It is just, you know. And then in 2004, so that was the last pennant of the Stein, uh, Steinberg, the uh, Joe Torre Yankees. 2004, they get A-Rod from the Texas Rangers. And this is where... It's a big time deal. He got the most money ever in baseball at that point on yeah. that contract, if I'm not mistaken. And the sad thing is, like before A Rod joined the Yankees, Derek Jeter and A Rod were good friends. Afterwards, not so much. It just kind of disintegrated. Uh, there's a great video that SB Nation did about their beef, like how their relationship or their friendship just went downhill once A Rod joined the Yankees. There's a lot of interviews with A-Rod out there because I think post-career he has owned his mistakes and owned where he could have been better as a teammate and things like that. Yeah. And there's a large portion of Yankees fan and baseball fans in general that really think Derek Jeter should have given the shortstop position to A-Rod because at that time he was the best shortstop, shortstop in the game. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on record on this podcast of saying Derek Jeter, definite Hall of Famer, but his defensive numbers weren't exactly what everybody remembers him as. No. Um, I mean, so that's a big point of contention between a lot of Yankees fans and a lot of just baseball fans in general on who should have took yeah. that shortstop position. Because as we all know, A-Rod played third base. Yeah, and like even today, they're still not great friends. Because like, there's this, there's this YouTube channel called Baseball Doesn't Exist, which I love watching. They did a video on A-Rod specifically and they talked about him and Jeter not being friends anymore. And like I guess in recent years they did a some sort of like QVC thing together. And they're just to make a little money selling merchandise. Yeah, and they're getting interviewed, but like beforehand they didn't know that they were going to be together interviewed together. And like apparently Jeter was pissed off that they were being interviewed together, but they did it anyway because they're professionals. But like you know, well they were there. They were there for a business deal. Yeah, they're there for a business deal. And like, so you got to make your money. Yeah, so you can go on the Baseball Doesn't Exist uh, YouTube page and look in the A-Rod video, and you would see that clip. And Jeter's just trying to, like, smile, like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and A-Rod's just talking, like, oh, yeah, 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 we're good friends or whatever. Being the shark from Shark Tank that he is kind yeah. of deal, just <laughs> knowing how to make money. Yeah, it's just, you know. And, of course, this, again, Steinbrenner, you know, big free agent deal. Steinberg loves free agency. It was the biggest free agent deal of all time up to that point. Yeah. But, like, in the history of baseball, that was the biggest free agent deal. Yeah. And then the Yankees, now the 2004 Yankees will always be known 
as blowing the three nothing lead in the ALCS over the Boston the world's Boston. greatest choke artist of all time until the Falcons bailed him out against the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And of course, there's that thirty for thirty about the about the ALCS. Four days in October, days is, I believe, October. what that one's called. That's a great one. And then it just you know things are just sliding down, you know. The the good days of the Tory Yankees are behind us. Well, I say they're the line. They still make the playoffs, but you get my point. After 2003. The Yankees with Joe Torres and Major John make it to another World Series. Right, but the Braves made the playoffs for 13 straight years and won one ring. So, what does the playoffs mean, really? Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Once again, they finished first in the AL East in 2005 with a 95-67 record. They lose, three ga- they lose in five games to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I really need to talk to Tim Mead about that and who thought this was a good idea to change the name to that. I'm willing to bet they with for a team that hasn't moved very much. I'm willing to bet they changed their name more than anybody in baseball. I was looking at the lids today at the mall. Right. They had a sweet 1965 All Star game, California Angels logo on it. Yeah, I really wanted to buy it, but hats are so expensive now, and I couldn't justify the purchase. Yeah, but the Angels have changed their name more times. Remember, California Angels, Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles Angel Anaheim, and now they're just Los the, Cal- the Los what Angeles Los Angeles Angels. Angels. I need to talk to me about that. I'd be like, look, we need to get back to Anaheim because you guys are in Anaheim. You're not in Los Angeles. Stop. Well, it's all about making money, selling tickets, and trying to grow a fan base. And I get it because they're one of the small. They're the smallest market team in California. Yeah. 2006. Once again, they won the AL East, and they lose in the ALDS to the eventual American League champion Detroit Tigers. You know the Miguel Cabrera, Jim Leland. Detroit Tigers. And they Kenny, were a wagon for a couple of years, too. And Kenny Rogers was on the Detroit Tigers that year. And that's the same year I got his autograph in, in, in uh, spring training, which I could talk about another time. Uh, and then 2007 was the last year that Torrey managed the Yankees. They go 94-68. They finished in second place in the AL East because the Red Sox won the division and the World Series that year. Spoilers. <laughs> and the Yankees lose the AL East to the Cleveland Indians three games to one. So now, in the way that this, the way that the uh, Joe Torre Yankees ended, it left a bad taste in Joe Torre's mouth. Rightfully so. Yeah, and Torre wrote a book about his time with the Yankees called "The Yankee Years," right? And let's. He talks about it in depth in the final chapter about his meeting in Tampa with Steinbrenner and the younger Steinbrenners, his sons, Hank and Hal, uh, Brian Cashman, the GM, Lon Tross, the COO of the Yankees, which Lon's a unique name. Keep in mind, Brian Cashman is a longtime GM to the point where the Las Vegas 51s play at Cashman Field. They used to. I'm not sure what it's named now. Right. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> so so keep in mind he's Stein he's Steinbrenner's right hand man. Yeah, and just Yeah, if you want to read it, it goes into detail about uh he goes into more detail about it, but I'm reading from the biography on Steinbrenner called Steinbrenner the Last Line of Baseball by uh Bill Madden. And so 
you know, basically Joe Torrey was at the end of the con, like his contract expired at the end of the 2007 season. Right. And it was the first time since 97 that the Yankees had not won the AL East in 2007. So that was a heck of a, you know, that's kind of a downer. Let's see. So like I said, he goes down to Tampa like on October 17th. And the Steinbrenners, let's see. So basically, George Steinbrenner at this point, he's old in age. His sons are, he's basically giving, he's given, he's given more control to his sons and Cashman and Trost and all these guys to run the team for him because he's getting up there in age and, you know, he's just, he's, he's getting a little more senile. And basically Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner offered no opinion other than to say that he was tired of paying Tory $4 million per year than, or $4 million per year more than any other manager in baseball based on past performance. The other, so Steinbrenner's becoming Steinbrenner like he was in the old days. Right, you know. I'm fed up. Cool, you've won me a couple rings, but... What have you done for me lately? That's a bad... Baseball is a what have you done for me lately game. Yeah. And the younger Steinbrenners, as well as... I think his name's Randy Levine. Another Yankee person. Yeah, Randy Levine, that's it. Um... They didn't want to keep. They didn't want to bring him back. But Brian Cashman convinced them that for public relations reasons alone, they needed to at least offer him a contract. So the group decided to offer Tory a one-year contract with a five million dollar base, keeping him the highest-paid manager in the game by two million dollars, with a with a series of incentives that if the Yankees just reached the World Series, would top out at eight million and automatically vest at that same number in two thousand nine. Was that a pay cut? Yeah, I guess it was. I guess it was a pay cut. Yeah, it was a pay cut. Because when Cashman called Tory to tell him the offer, Tory did not commit either way. Rather, he said he wanted to come to Tampa and look Steinbrenner in the eye. Let the man offer me the deal himself. Right. Okay. Cashman, who was returning to New York that day, agreed to fly back to Tampa with Tory to meet with the Steinbrenners. Yankees, the Yankees executives assumed that Tory as he had done in the past, merely wanted to get Steinbrenner's personal assurance that he wanted him to continue managing the team. Let's see, shortly before 2 p.m. on October 18th, Torrey, accompanied by Cashman and Trost, walked into Steinbrenner's office on the fourth floor of the Le- uh, fourth floor of Legends Field, which is where the Yankees spring train. Uh, well, I think they got, what, the Tampa Bay Legends or what's the name of their... Tampa, Tampa Tarpons. Tarpons. It used to be Legends? It used maybe? to be the Tampa Yankees. Tampa Yankees. I might be thinking hockey with Legends. Sorry, guys. Right. Um, so, shortly before 2 p.m., Tory Cashman Trost walked into Steinberg's office at Legends Field. The boss was sitting at his desk, flanked by Randy Levine, Hallen Hank... And uh, Steinbrenner's son-in-law, Felix Lopez, who was in, at that time was in Yankees management. Uh, let's see. Hal Steinbrenner began the meeting by reiterating that Tory, reiterating to Tory the group's wishes that he come back for another year, then asked Levine to go over the terms of the offer and to review Tory's previous contracts. At that point, Steinbrenner said, I mean, George, 
George Tyburner said, I've always been fair to you. We want you to come back. I hope you accept. Tory looked at the group coldly. I have to say I find this insulting, he said. I don't believe I deserve a pay cut. Then, looking straight at Steinbrenner, he said, You know, George, the success of my teams allowed you to have the Yes Network. And a which is the Yankee Entertainment Network. Yeah. Is that what it's stands for? Yankee Entertainment Sports Network or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Sometimes Syracuse football and basketball games get aired there. It's kind of like Fox Sports Southeast for our Southeast listeners. Right, but it's now Bally's. Well, they sold it to a casino, which yeah. is going to be the trend in sports now. But they're legalizing gambling. Right. But, but going back to what Tory said, uh, then looking straight at he said, "You know, George, the success of my teams allows you to have the Yes Network and a new stadium because they're they're building the new Yankee Stadium at that point. Uh, not the not to mention the record of attendances and all the added advertising and marketing revenue. Is this fair?" I can't in good conscience face my players and take a deal like this. Excuse me. As Tory spoke, Steinbrenner looked at him blankly, as if not fully comprehending on what he was hearing. The others were stunned at Tory's audacity. Was he delusional? Asserting that he was one responsible, he was the one responsible for the boss becoming wealthy beyond his wildest imagination, when in fact it was the other way around. Finally, after uneasy silence, silence, Hal Steinbrenner spoke up again. I'm sorry you feel this way, Joe, he said, but we all still like you to stay with the Yankees and work with the network. Tory did not respond. Instead, he reached across the desk, shook Steinbrenner's hand, thanked him, stood up, and walked out the door. The next day, he held his own press conference in which he said the incentives in the contract were an insult and expressed dismay at having... Been no having that there haven't been no negotiation. Uh, it was left to Hank Steinbrenner to return fire for his father in the October 20th interview with the New York Post. And Hank Steinbrenner said, Where was Joe's career in 95 when my dad hired him? Hank asked. My dad was crucified for hiring him. Let's not forget what my dad did in giving him that opportunity and the great team he was handed. You can't take credit for the success when you're going good. And then not take at least some of the blame when things change. And so that left a bad taste in Joe Torrey's mouth. So how do you feel about how that played out? How do I feel? Yeah, because I feel like Joe Torrey's kind of in the right there. I would say he's in the right. Because had he not... I get it. You have the franchise buying you the players you need, yeah. making trades, making moves. Right. And everybody likes to say the Yankees buy their place. That's how sports work. You buy your place. Joe Torre was the best Yankees manager. At that time, he was the best Yankees manager since Billy Martin and Bob Lemon, you know, in the Steinbrenner era, in the way he won them World Series champions. So I guess what I'm asking is, do you agree that – I feel like that with what you just read to me that he got a raw deal. Do you agree with me on that? I would say so. But again... And he's obviously not hurting now, but... Right. Still. It just... It seemed like he got a he raw He brought the man, what, two World Series rings? No, uh, four. Four World Series rings. Nine, four six, World Series eight, rings. Nine, yeah, a three in a row one. Yeah, four yeah. World Series rings. You're selling out stadiums. You made it through the 9-11 deal together. Right. Which, we still have Jeter. What you made... You got Jeter. You... <laughs> A-Rod... You know, Mario Rivera, all those guys. Without the success of me as a manager, you might not. And I get 
what Steinbrenner's son is saying is, yeah, we took a chance on you to begin with, but at the same time, you capitalized on that. So I feel like it's unfair for him to get treated that way. Right. I, I feel like Joe got raw, you know, got the raw end of the deal, but you know, after that, he went. He became the Dodgers manager for three seasons. Then he retired. And he's in the Hall of Fame. Man, that Dodgers deal didn't work out the best for him. No, that's a different story too. But but now Joe Torre works for MLB's office. He works for the commissioner. So. Yeah, he's the head of the um, the rules committee. Yeah, and I've seen Joe Torre at both mm-hmm. two not twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one induction ceremony. So I didn't talk to him obviously, but obviously, but I've seen him there. So now they hired Joe. Uh, they hired Joe Girardi, a former catcher for the Yankees, as the new manager for the 2008 season to replace Joe Torre. As is the trend. If you're going to be a manager, you're either going to be a catcher, first baseman, third baseman. Yeah, that's so, just how baseball works, I guess. Yeah. So, as I've previously stated, in the 2000s, Steinbrenner is getting older. He's in his 70s, and he's giving more power to. His sons, as well as Cashman and Lon Tross and Randy Levine and all these other He's guys. a warrior. He ain't got the fastball no more, right. for lack of a better term. And I don't know if I can really confirm this, but reading the book, uh, The Last Line of Baseball, it's given some hints that Steinbrenner may have started beginning to have dementia. I can't really confirm that. but there's How old is he at this point? See, so 2007, he'd be 77. That's about the time when that stuff starts becoming a little bit prevalent. Right. And I think, you know, the brain outlives the body with modern medicine, and it is what it is. Yeah. And, well, so there are times where he's just, and he's not, he's making less and less public appearances. Mm-hmm. And he's not giving out statements like he did. Like I said, he's giving, he's letting his sons handle that. And,. Around this time, Steinbrenner, in 2006, they broke ground for a new Yankee stadium. Even after the renovation, Steinbrenner wanted a new stadium. He was just like, I want a new stadium. Old Yankee Stadium sucks, even after the renovations. Let's get a new Yankee Stadium because I want more box, I want more like skybox suites. Do you think that's more of him trying to leave a lasting legacy before he passed away? I think that's. I think that has something to do with it. Because as I said, he's getting older, and uh, and also that year, also the the New York State of New York also said, okay, well, if the Yankees are getting a new stadium, then the Mets will get a new stadium too. Because Fred Wilpon, who owned the Mets at the time, wanted a new stadium. He didn't like Shea. He's like. I want a new stadium. So both the stadium and the city of New York were like, okay, you're both getting new stadiums. They're going to make the revenue back on it because they live in such a big city. They're going to sell out. Right, you know. And so 2008 was the last year of the original Yankee Stadium as well as the last year of Shea Stadium. And the Yankees missed the playoffs. But again, this is Joe Girardi's first year. I think it was his first ever managerial job. They go 89-73, and Imagine your first managerial job being for the boss. Yeah. That's, that's a tough cookie to cut right there. Right. They go 89-73. They finish in third place in the East. Steinbrenner only tends like maybe two games that year. The first opening day, and then the All-Star game was at Yankee Stadium that year. Because you always get it if you build a new stadium. Yeah. And in the book, there's a picture from the All-Star game. 
they had a big they had a big uh, ceremony before the game, and they had all these living players, and you know it was. A Is that the game. one they where they did the all whatever? No, that was that a, was at Turner Field. Yeah, that was at Turner two thousand. This was like I just a bunch of living Paul Famers. I mean, they went all out because this was Yankee Stadium's last year. And then afterwards, Steinbrenner comes out in a, a golf cart with his family, and they drive around the walking track. And I'm showing I'm showing Patrick this picture. Of the a book golf cart's never a good thing when you show up. Right. I'm showing Patrick a picture of this in the book. So here's a picture, and there's Steinbrenner, and this is a night game. He's wearing and, sunglasses. Oh, he looks he looks like hot garbage for y'all at home. Right. I mean, he you can show his age is showing, but he's with his family. He's, he looks happy. He looks happy, but this is one of his. Again, rare public appearances at, at Yankees games. Yeah, he looks happy, but he does not look healthy. Right. And he was not there for the Yankees' final game at Yankee Stadium. He was in, back in Tampa. And I remember watching that game when when it happened on ESPN. And, you know, everybody's like, everybody wanted to know who was going to hit the last home run at Yankee Stadium. But I was more interested in another fact. Who's going to hit the last triple at Yankee Stadium? And I believe that was Adam Jones at the Baltimore Orioles. I believe Adam Jones hit the last triple at Yankee Stadium. I remember watching that. Or some, I think it was Adam Jones. Was I can't that? quote that, but it'd be really cool to be that guy that did that. Right. We're going to have to look up the box score. but we. It'd be, the, it'd be cool to be the last guy that took a leak in Yankee Stadium. Right. I you mean, know, the, the last guy to do pick his nose in Yankee Stadium. Anything that you could be the last of in Yankee Stadium, I think it would be a cool stat. Right. And it's just, you know, the 85-year-old stadium closes in late September. They closed before Shea Stadium closed. I still think that's a mistake. Yeah. So the last game... You don't close a grade-A cathedral, man. Yeah. You could have made it bigger somehow, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure how New York's laid out, but... Tell, say that to, like, you know, Tigers fans in Tiger Stadium and uh, White Sox fans for Comiskey Park or all the other stadiums that... Any Samus ever been tore down that anybody has memories at. Right. It's just... It's, it's devastating. So the last game was on September 21st, 2008. And they beat the Baltimore Orioles seven games to three. And, of course, Mario Rivera closed out with a perfect night, perfect ninth inning. The Sandman. Brown, 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 brown. And so they built brown, new Yankee brown. Stadium across the street from old Yankee Stadium. And, like, the grounds of old Yankee Stadium, it's, it's a park and there's a field there. But, like, the stadium's gone. But they still have the home plate and the bases the way they do at the parking lot at um, – Old Fulton County? I want to say so. I'm not 100% sure on that one. It was really cool to me when the Braves of that World Series parade that they started at Old Fulton County with all that. Yeah. They started at the 755 mine. And just, you know, and so 2009, the new Yankee Stadium opens, right? Same thing as City Field with the Mets. You know, that year, how convenient. Both your, both your city, both the city's teams get two new ballparks. How, how, what a coincidence, you know? And uh, Steinbrenner doesn't go to a lot of games. In fact, if I can find it in the book, I think he went to the first game. And, you have to. Yeah. That's your legacy. You have to go to that game. And once again, he's like in a golf cart driving around. Okay, so as he passed, so he was in the bowels of Yankee Stadium. As he and this is from the book, as he passed a group of reporters being restrained in a stairwell, one of them, Anthony McCarron of the New York Daily News, shouted at him, 
George, what do you think of the new stadium? It's beautiful, Steinbrenner replied, replied weakly as his handlers sped him away. So this is, you know, and of course 2009 was the year that the Yankees won the World Series. First time, you know, in the first year of, you know, the new Yankee stadiums. Uh, the first year of the New Yankee City, they beat the Phillies in the World Series. I think that was in six games. So kind of, it's kind of unique. The first game at the old Yankee Stadium, the first year of the old Yankee Stadium, 1923, the Yankees won the World Series that year. And the first game at the new Yankee Stadium, the Yankees won the World Series. So I think that was pretty cool. But, you know, Steinberger was at, like, at least a couple of the games. And then he watched he watched the rest at home, you know, watched the rest of the series at home. So when they won it, he was at his home in Tampa. And, you know, by this time, like I said, he's getting old. And I, there's a really sad story, like, near the, like this, the next to last year of his life. He had a friend who owned a restaurant in Tampa named Malio Ivarone. He owned, like, uh, one of, he was one of George Steinberg's friends. He owned a bunch of restaurants in Tampa. And he got invited to a birthday party at the boss's house. And, you know, when, this is from the book, when Ivron arrived to the fourth floor offices, I guess it wasn't at his house. It was like somewhere where, you know. It's probably the country club or some shit. Yeah. So when he arrived at the fourth floor offices, Steinberger was wheeled in to greet him. Because at the time... So he's in a wheelchair. He was in a wheelchair. He one of his knees was had arthritis very bad, but he was in a wheelchair. And one of his sec- <clears throat> one of Steinberg's secretary says, "Here's the here's <coughs> Malio, boss." And Steinberg said, "Oh, Malio, I love Malio." But as he said it, he seemed to be looking right through Ivorone, who could tell Steinberg didn't recognize him. There was something off when he said it. So a little bit of dementia, of course. Yeah. Malio hugged him and planted a kiss on his cheek. I love you too, boss. He said before excusing himself from the party and leaving the building in tears. And, you know, he was asked to stay for a birthday cake, but he just had to get out of there. You know, I couldn't, he said, I couldn't just play, I just couldn't play that game that George knew everybody and everything was just the same when it wasn't. And so the next year, 2010, in July, it was like right after his 80th birthday, George Steinberger passed away. I want to say it was with a heart attack, but it was like, you know. And I remember when I, I remember where I was when Steinberger passed away. I was at Little Rosie's, this restaurant in Huntsville. If you know, if you're from Huntsville, you know Little Rosie's. But for our people who are not from Huntsville, Little Rosie's a Tex Mex. You're place. correct. It was the hardest stack on uh, July 13th. Yeah, it was like right after his 80th. The morning of the all or the morning of the All Star game. Yeah, and he, you know, I was at Little Rosie's and I get my breakfast and I sit down and on the TV on ESPN, there's news that George Steinbrenner passed away and I was like, wow, a titan gone, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just a very and after recording, I'm not sure you saw this. We lost another titan of uh, entertainment today. Jump. Uh, oh, Betty White. Betty White. Yeah, Betty For White. those of y'all at home recording this, Betty White passed away today. Rest in peace to both of them. And, uh, of course, John Madden passed away earlier this week. But uh, All yeah. of the legends, man. It's that changing of the guard season. But, um, you know, but obviously the Yankees are still owned by the Steinberger family. 
Yeah, his brother Hank passed away in 2010 of a liver issue. Um, a couple of days after his birth, or his son Hank. Oh, son Hank. Son yeah. Hank passed away in 2010 after a liver issue. So I think that just leaves Hal. I'm not sure where Hank sent his share to. True, and like his daughters, Steinberg has daughters. He may have at one point they had some roles in the Yankees, but I'm not sure if they do now. But Hal's basically in control along with. Cashman, Levine, and Tross, and all these guys. Cashman's made a hell of a career by being the one guy that Steinbrenner has not fired. Right. And so Legends Field in Tampa has been renamed to Steinbrenner Field. That's correctly so. That's his home. That's where he likes to be in. Right. And Steinbrenner left a huge impact on baseball, and, you know, just. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, but again, you know. Owners. Owners can get in the Hall of Fame, but it would, you know, sometimes it just It's more of a committee-based thing as opposed to a... Yeah, that's more of a committee thing than like a sports writer's thing. Now, I forgot to mention this in the previous episode, but going back to Steinbrenner and his college coaching ties, he had a friendship with former Grambling State University football coach Eddie Robinson. And you think, you know, you think those two cross paths in life? Like, oh, yeah. Because in the 70s, now you have to understand for our listeners who don't live in America, because we do have some, according to, according to our demographics, we have some listeners who don't live in uh, the United States. But Grambling State University is a historical black college and university, you know. So, there's that. So, that's what it is. And it's in Louisiana. But, so, and this all started in the 70s when the New York Urban League sponsored a football classic to benefit a scholarship program to provide scholarships to black athletes. And Grambling participated in this event for many years. But sometime in the 70s, the New York Urban League began to experience financial problems and the game needed financial help or be canceled. So both Eddie Robson and Howard Cosell reached out to George Steinbrenner to help underwrite the game and help sponsor it. And, Mr. and Steinbrenner said, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, this sounds like a good thing to do. And then they just kept, you know, even after that, they kept it going. They kept this friendship going. And like just, you know, even when, and the thing is, even when, uh, Steinbrenner was getting in trouble with his Watergate ties. Coach Robinson sent a letter to the judge in the case as to the moral as to the moral character of Mr. Steinbrenner. He was backing up George Steinbrenner's moral character. So just because he's a businessman doesn't mean he's not necessarily a good man. Yeah. Because Steinbrenner is all about making his money and counting his pennies. Right. But like any Robinson, And winning championships. Yeah. But like, you know, this you know, this started a friendship between Eddie Robinson and George Steinbrenner. There are times where the Yankees would play exhibition games in Grambling, and Steinbrenner would be there sitting with Eddie Robinson during the game. And, you know, just, and, like, Steinbrenner would come to, like, banquets for, like, the football team and give a talk and just, and, like, he, Steinbrenner even wrote the forward to Eddie Robinson's, um, Eddie Robinson's autobiography back in the 90s. And Eddie Robinson went on to win 408 games. He was like the all-time, maybe still is the all-time winningest 
football coach in college football history, counting like FBS and F, like FBS and FCS. Yeah, and not, not like we do with like the D one right. stuff. Right in Division One, you know that sort of thing, and just you know, and like even after, I read some article after Steinberg died. Like they asked Eddie Robinson, they were interviewing Eddie Robinson Jr. For a piece on it, and you know, Eddie Roberts Jr. is like, man, that meant a lot to us that for Steinberg to come to these events and talk to us and mean a lot to us and have him come to rambling and play exhibition. So it's because he was a hard ass, he wasn't necessarily a bad guy. Right, you know, so I just thought that was a unique story and maybe something unlikely that most people wouldn't think that those two guys would cross paths in life, but I just thought it was unique and I thought it'd be a good way to end this episode. Just talk about that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, I guess that sets us up to wrap up Steinbrenner. Um, the boss, Mr. George Steinbrenner, you know, he was a winner. At times he was a loser, but he was generally a winner, yeah. regarded as a winner. Stern, generally somewhat, I guess, kind of fair. Matthew complained about that a little bit. Meddling. He liked to meddle. Yeah. Um, but that's his investment, you know? Whatever he had to do to make himself better. Um, one thing I do want to know is... He bought the Yankees for $10 million. He wound up getting 1.2 of it back from CBS. So let me look up real fast what it was worth when he passed away. $5.25 billion now. Yeah. So I think it's a strong investment for his family. And he set up generational wealth for his family, whether they want to follow him in baseball or not, which they'd be dumb not to because they are literally the last true family I can think of. Or not the last, but there's a handful of families that still have baseball teams, but it's become a corporate world. So that's a big part of why he's the last true owner. Yeah, you know, it's just man left a legacy that's just hard to replicate. So what what else to say about him? You know, definitely a towering figure in baseball history. He left his mark for sure. You know, just wow. What a guy. And as always, we appreciate y'all listening to us. Um, This will be episode number 10 right here. Number 10. And um, we appreciate y'all. We're doing a good amount of listens and stuff. And y'all need to make sure that y'all go um, to the Baseball Hall of Fame's website and find Matthew's shortstop article about Bobo Newsom. I always enjoy reading these articles. Yeah. I'm really, Um, really proud of this article for sure. And all of his articles are good work. I enjoy when he shares them on Facebook. Um, he's on Facebook at Matthew Carter. If you want to follow him, if you're interested in his articles, and he's always sharing cool baseball stuff. But as always, um, we appreciate y'all listening. It's um, for Patrick and for Matthew. We love it. Love y'all. Y'all can find us on all your streaming platforms. Tell your friends about us. Keep us growing. Yeah. Um, the more we grow, hopefully one day we can have money to do a better production for y'all. Yeah. But in the meantime, we're in my second bedroom. So. <laughs> but thank you for a great year, for for sure. Great first year. Yeah, we've enjoyed it so far. Yeah. You know, 
to get anybody to listen to us is a plus. So thank you for all of our listeners. And as always, we'll see y'all next time. We got a bunch of good topics lined up for y'all. Um, we're not sure what we're gonna do next, but we got a big list to pick from. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so as always, I'm Patrick, and this is Matthew Carter. And we will see y'all next time. See ya. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Now my old friend, the bachelor, well he swore he was the Oklahoma kid. And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke. And me, I always loved Willie Mann, those were the Well now it's the 80s and Brett is the greatest And Bobby Bonds can play for everyone Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met And the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Cuisinberry Talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Perry Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt and by the blue Calling, it's no fluke. They'll be with Will.